0: Like what we do here at Clever, please consider supporting the show. To make a one time donation, click the link in the episode description. Thank you.
1: Hi, I'm Neil Innes. And I'm Andres Bartos from Passport. Each week, we travel to a new place to tell you enlightening, smart, and just plain incredible stories which have shaped our destination. We want you to experience the world with us. And so does this week's sponsor, Booking.com. And the best news is they're about to have the biggest sale of the year, where you can save 30% or more. This is a limited offer, so make sure you book before the 1st of December 2020 to travel anytime before the end of 2021. Find amazing deals now at booking.com forward slash Black Friday to come and travel with us. I have wasted
2: a lot of time and money on foundations that don't match me, and now I can't even swatch in store anymore. Thankfully, I found the Il Maquillage Power Match quiz. It literally found my perfect foundation shade in seconds. Plus, with Try Before You Buy, I was even sent
1: my full-size match to try for free for 14 days. But I'm definitely keeping this. Take the quiz at ilmaquillage.com slash quiz. That's I L-M-A-K-I-A-G-E.com slash quiz.
0: Support for Clever comes from Master & Dynamic. We know you love great design and care about quality audio. So we know you will love Master & Dynamic's headphones and earphones. Brilliant sound and design motivates everything they do. So Master & Dynamic products are the perfect gift for the music and design-obsessed alike. And after you see the craftsmanship and premium materials, we know you'll want to get a pair for yourself, too. Whether you're looking for luxurious and comfortable over-ear headphones, portable and power-packed true wireless earphones, or an immersive wireless speaker, Master & Dynamic has what you need to upgrade your listening experience. Hear your favorite podcast, clever, obviously, and your favorite songs in a whole new way. Visit masterdynamic.com and use the code CLEVER for 10% off your new pair of headphones. Terms and conditions apply. That's
2: masterdynamic.com.
3: Hi, this is Craig.
2: Hi, Craig. It's Jamie Derringer and Amy from Clever.
3: Hey, Jamie. Hey, Amy. How's it going?
2: Good. How are you?
3: You guys are right on time. Man, I can't believe it. That's that's like, bam, right on time. We are
2: <laughs> punctual, but we also don't want to take up all of your time because we know you're very busy. So this is the gist of Clever. We talk to you, um, you open up and give us your deepest, darkest <laughs> secrets, and then we share it with everybody.
3: <laughs> okay, go for it. I'm ready to be grilled.
2: hi everyone i'm amy and i'm jamie and this is clever and today we're talking to architect craig steely craig steely splits his time between san francisco and hawaii where nature informs his designs he received his architecture degree from cal poly san luis Obispo, and has been awarded recognition by the american institute of architects his work has been published in books and many popular publications like Dwell Magazine and Metropolis.
0: In 2009, he was selected as an emerging talent by the AIA California Council. His unique lava flow homes in Hawaii have gained him recognition around the world. He talks to us about being uncomfortable in traditional architecture offices and the enjoyment he gets from being in the field, which prompted him to launch his
2: namesake firm, Craig Steely Architecture. We loved hearing from this native Californian, especially when he waxes poetic about the relationship between surfing and architecture. So let's talk to Craig Steely.
3: My name is Craig Steely. I'm in San Francisco right now. And I do architecture because thinking about object in space is incredibly satisfying to me. Did you grow up in California or did you grow up somewhere else? I did. And I grew up in California. I grew up really rural, uh, kind of between in the Sierras, kind of or just at the edge of the Sierras, edge of the San Joaquin Valley, between Lodi and Jackson, on a ranch that my dad was born on. Oh, what? that's really cool. Yeah, it was it was it was great. I mean, it was a really fantastic place to grow up. I mean, just in the in the mountains, and you know, and being outside all the time and working, and you know, those are really I think really early. Mem- my earliest memories are sort of around that even you know interest in in architecture and space kind of come from that like just seeing such powerful spaces we were we were you know close to the mountains and we spent lots of time up there and also you know my dad fished a lot and so we went to the ocean a lot and just I think you know those sort of experiences you know on mountaintops and in in meadows and on beaches you know I feel like a lot of ways with architecture, what I'm doing, I'm still like translating those experiences, you know, and sensations that I kind of got in those days from what I, what I was around.
0: It sounds like you grew up very close to the earth, but I'm dying to know, are you the second or third generation on this ranch? Was your family settlers <laughs> or, I mean, can you tell us the backstory on that?
3: Oh, yeah, the backstory is they came, yeah, they came to California in, in the 1880s and basically were in that area. It was my grandfather's land, my dad's land. My dad was born there. I was there until I went to college. Growing up in a place like that, you you really find your way. There's not a lot of outside influence, and you really, I think, create your own world. And it was amazing. So the first time I really left that area was when I went to college, when I went to Cal Poly. And, you know, it was was pretty powerful. I was ready for kind of, I think, uh, that sort of next phase of my life after thinking about it and sort of wanting more. Sure. So
0: was it, I mean, obviously you went to school. Was it a very small school? Yeah, tiny school. Okay. And how did you start to see your creativity manifest, like when you were a kid and a teenager?
3: Yeah, well, I think like, I mean, growing up, you know, my, when you grew up in the country like I did, you're constantly making things, and both of my parents are really creative. My dad was amazingly mechanically inclined sort of our family motto is custom anything we're always hot rodding cars and machinery and building stuff
0: oh that sounds so awesome
3: (laughs) (laughs) my mom was a a school teacher but also a painter and you know there was just a lot of a lot of that around and a lot of support for doing it I really love to draw that was kind of like I think the thing that really got me interested in architecture was just and space was being able to sort of capture it capture it with a pencil and on paper. Yeah, that's kind of, I think, where it came from. I feel like I was always doing it. Architecture just seemed like a really logical place for all that stuff to go. It has been. My wife always jokes that, you know, every conversation is only two short sentences away from architecture. So I'm kind of like like in that world all the time.
2: I'd love to know when you were first exposed to the idea of architecture as a, you know, a career or as an actual practice, you know, in, in being surrounded by the mountains and fields and the ocean and everything, was there a moment where you were like, oh, there's a, a job out there where I could actually like make structures or conceive of, of space?
3: It's interesting. That's the way it's, it, I think it was around all that stuff at such an early age And it really was affecting me. It really, I I feel like I had a really strong attraction to to space and things like that. I remember one time we were actually kind of near Sea Ranch. And I remember I was drawing, I was drawing some of the buildings up there. And I, yeah, I mean, I've talked about this before, but there was a sense, it sounds like the the cartoon California kind of experience that I was (laughs) sitting around. And I saw Sunset Magazine and I was like, whoa, I looked at it. And it dawned on me, wow, like this could be a job, like the stuff that I already like to do. And I remember like where I grew up, you know, there, it's, there, there really aren't architects. There's like, you know, everybody's an architect. Everybody's building their houses and building what they need. And, and honestly, pretty creative about it, too. I still really, really love that about just that, you know, where kind of design sort of happens in a vacuum. And it just is really personal and really people really own it. And um, so, yeah, that was it was it was about when I was, you know, 15 or so. Yeah, it it happened just like that.
2: So how did you transition from going to college at Cal Poly? Can you talk to us about like moving from high school into college and deciding what you wanted to do and where you wanted to go?
3: When I got out of high school, you know, I I, so again up in the mountains. I skied and I I actually ski patrolled at, at a place called Bear Valley. And I really kind of felt like what my life would be, would be skiing in the winter and and building, building houses in the summer. And I did that for a while and I just was kind of like, this isn't, this isn't enough. So I started looking at colleges and started really kind of thinking about architecture, about maybe more of like just the art of it and just, and thinking about it as opposed to just always building. And so I looked at Berkeley, I looked at Cal Poly and Cal Poly at that time was kind of amazing. It was really, it was sort of the midpoint between Los Angeles and California. And I went down there at one point to check it out, and I was I was really impressed by by just how there were these hippie builders that were just, you know, living in vans and talking about architecture and talking about building and surfing, and, and I was like, this place seems great. And, and so, <laughs> does it does sound like you found just, your people. Different? I think I kind of did, yeah, I really <laughs> did, but then, but then when I went down there, they, they'd all graduated, and so it was kind of like this <laughs> sort of weird <laughs> process of, of finding my own way again, but... That's sort of where it began. And then during that time, I, I spent my last year in um, in, in Italy, which was, which was really powerful. Like that was, you know, I think really important seeing Italy. And again, like being really, really ready for it, really at, at a time in my life where I hadn't, you know, seen a lot of, I hadn't been exposed to a lot of things like that. And it was amazing just being dropped in Florence and around all that art and around all the inspiration and around all the, you know, things from the renaissance to you know sort of like the avant-garde 70s architecture it was really powerful and made a huge impact on me and and also a huge impact on the way I think about architecture and the way I kind of practice it too I think Italy really turned turned that on its head too just how it's maybe really more integrated with life and not really separated it's not like a a job that you go to from nine to five it's really what you do
0: on a personal level, did you have any adjustment issues going from your tiny high school to a college in a big city? I mean, being around all those people and focusing your energy towards studies, did you have to rein yourself in at all?
3: No, I was really ready for it. And then I think like, I don't know, there wasn't, I'm pretty flexible that way. And I, I think it just... I don't know. It just seemed like it was the right thing. There wasn't like a culture shock or something like that. I think it was, mm. I just was really ready for it. It was just the right place at the right time for me. I mean, it was, I felt like, in it sort of like, it would seem like there were all these ideas that I had sort of come up with on my own. And it was amazing just to suddenly be around a sort of places where I was, I was seeing these ideas. I had, you know, the ability of reading about these ideas and discovering more and, and going deeper. So I was kind of just an omnivore, just just devouring everything, like all the sights and scenes. I mean, I mean, you know, I remember the first time I went to like a big city with San Francisco, you know, and it was I couldn't believe it. It just was, you know, it was amazing to me. So and I still feel you know, I live in San Francisco now most of the time. Maybe we're in Hawaii a lot, but but I still feel that way when I come to San Francisco. I still feel that sort of, you know, just uh, it's an excitement about just what's, what's possible here.
0: Yeah, it does bubble with excitement. I really I like that city. I, I wanted to ask you a personal question. You seem to be really adept at following a certain pull, a certain thirst for information, and you don't really seem to resist it or have any conflict. Have you always been like that? And does that come from your parents? Or do you think that comes from growing up in a place where you got really centered with yourself?
3: Maybe I don't know. I think certain things like that, certain people are just that way. I mean, I, think I, I feel like I've always been that way. Mm-hmm. I definitely, I feel like growing up in a place where I did, where you know, I was supported and had the opportunity, and there wasn't a lot of outside influence at the time, so I was really thirsty for ideas and thirsty for challenge and thirsty for knowledge. It's really great for me. I don't know if it's great for everybody, you know what I mean? But I think for me, it's it's definitely a different life. I mean, my son's having a definitely a different experience than I'm having. You know, he's, he's been so many places, you know, at such an early age and, you know, he's just having a different experience, but I still think those like core sort of ideas about that level of just being interested and curious and optimistic. He has those. And I don't know if he learned those. or I don't know if those just are from the gene pool.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting question because optimism is the thing that I, I think everyone's born with, but it frequently gets dampened or or, or killed. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so you got to really protect it. I was going to ask where you got your, um you know, thirst for experience and knowledge from. Is that coming from one of your parents in particular?
3: No, I think like, I mean, back to that idea of optimism, you know, with like work and especially with architecture, gosh, I mean, it's so easy just to get it crushed out of you. So many variables and so many things that happen. And I feel like in a lot of ways, I'm really protective of that love I have and that optimism I have for it. I feel like both, I think my dad in particular was was always really, always up for a good time and always like working hard and always curious. You know, my mom's the same way and I, and I really feel like a lot of the people I was around were that way. So, you know, again, is it something I learned or something that's inside? I don't know. I'm just glad it's there. I'm glad. Yeah, we are too. It's lucky to find something that is satisfying and, and fulfilling and getting the opportunity to to do it and to do it, you know, each and each project at a higher level and with more intensity and with better clients and.
0: Yeah, tools and resources.
3: Yeah, it's it's been really, it's sort of felt like, you know, it's just, you know, been building and building and building and it keeps getting better for us, you know, in terms of what where we are with, where I am with designing, where my, my studio is with what we can do and the clients that are coming to us. We're trying to be really specific about like what jobs we take. We don't take a lot of jobs and, and my studio is really small and deliberately that way because I, I want to be involved in, hugely involved with all of it you know it's it's so many architects you get you know you get good at what you do and then suddenly you're managing an office and you don't even get to design you don't get to be on the job site you don't get to have that time like that time to just really um think about what you're doing and think about what you like about what you do
0: well it sounds like you've put together your studio very deliberately can you talk to us about some of the steps that you took from architecture school through your first few projects to your current practice, did you always know you were going to build a studio of this size and scale?
3: When I was in school doing architecture, I really thought at that point that I thought there was, I didn't really think I could, I would have an office. I just thought I would, I would teach or I would do art or I would sculpt. And you know, I just, the idea of having an office at that point seemed because the, office that I, the offices that I had seen, I wasn't super impressed with just what what it really came down to. And, and again, like I, space and architecture is really important to me. And when you're young, it's important in such like a a really pure way. And I, and I, in a way I didn't want it, I didn't want to ruin it. I didn't want to ruin that sort of love I had for, for objects and objects in space. And so I think like I, I got out of school and I, you know, luckily I was in Italy. Italy was great in that sense that like the, I got a job doing props and sets in Florence for this fashion house called Louises on Via Roma. And that was fantastic because it was really taking all of what I was thinking about architecture. And I had the opportunity to do a lot of this stuff. So we were doing like windows and we were doing props for fashion shows. It was it was really fantastic. It was like a perfect, perfect job. And I was working the other the rest of the time for an architect. And so that was really great. I always joke that Italy made me completely unemployable when I came back to <laughs> California. Yeah, it, made me, it made it impossible to work in a regular office because I would come back and I would just, I yeah you know, I could get these jobs and I'd be like, what? This is, this is, this is it. This is an architecture office. This is horrible. And so I, I got out of it. I started doing construction again and I started doing windows and I window display and I started doing furniture. So, I was interesting, though, because so what was happening, though, I was working with these creative people, and I, in a way, I was like the only architect around and the only person that was boring everyone to death without talking about architecture. And so suddenly, I would get jobs. They would offer me, you know, someone would need something done, furniture built or house remodeled or something. And so I, I felt like I was trying to get away from architecture, but I would just keep getting dragged back into it. <laughs> and then it, and, and at one point, it was just like, okay. If I'm going to do it, I need to just do it my own way. That was really the beginning of me thinking about how I wanted to practice architecture.
2: What was it that they were doing in the other offices that you kind of just didn't feel inspired by? Was it just too corporate or was it too much focus on, you know, the parts of architecture you really don't didn't like doing or how? What was cutter. It that,
3: yeah. Well, I mean, I, I mean, the bottom line is most offices. You know they 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 grow and they get big, and then they have to take you know you you'll see them doing they'll they'll have a few projects that they're really proud of, but the vast majority of the projects in the office, and these are again the offices that I worked in weren't weren't very exciting, and they were sort of like the bread and butter projects. I also saw like how people were working were being worked so hard and and I, I saw how it was less about design and and again, this is the places where I worked and and more about you know just turning out a product and, you know, and just the culture of it, I didn't like it was, you know, there was like a level to a level to the way offices run. I mean, I, I look back at how I was then. And I, and I, and I, realized why, I mean, I would never employ me at that time. You know, I was, I was completely unemployable <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, I think, I think that was what I saw. And I just saw that I, I knew that I didn't fit into that sort of world where I could turn on my creativity from, nine o'clock and turn it off at five and then go home. And so I think that's where I started getting out of it. I started getting out of it. I thought, well, you know, I'll just do stuff for my I'll just do stuff for myself. But then as things started progressing and I started getting more jobs, it, it was like, wow, I guess I could do this architecture thing to do it my own way and do it how I wanted to do it. So like, I, I think the next step after that was, you know, for a while I was you know, with, with where the office starts to become. And I, I, I chose, like, kind of early in that to to keep the office as a more of, like, an art studio. It's like a studio and, and, and really, like, live in, like, a compound where we live and work. And at one point, you know, we were looking at other spaces to work in, and I just was like, this is crazy. We, we you know, my wife's a painter, and she needed more space. My son was getting bigger. We needed... We needed more space anyway, so we were looking around at a building that we could sort of turn into this sort of compound, and then it, it just sort of dawned on us like, well, why don't we just we have a building in San Francisco, a house, let's just tear it to the ground and make it what we want it to be. So that's what we did. So I have a you know an office that's separated from our house, um, but it's still in the same building, and it's it's part of our our experience, and it, it, you know it's and it's perfect because I always feel it in a lot of ways that it's it really um, it helps me. It helps me connect with clients because certain clients come over and they, they see the office and they and they see it in the house and it's and it's absolutely what they don't want. That's what they don't they don't need. But other but the right clients come over and I think they see it and they really see how personally we take it here and and how it's really there's no difference between who we are and what we do and they're the ones that sort of I think are on board and and so I think it, it's sort of like already like a a self You know, discriminating thing that starts to really connect us with the people that we work the best with, and I think that's part of the reason why we've had such you know good luck. And you know, it's even gotten it's even gotten I think more refined as it's gone on. You know, right now there's me and two other people, there's three of us, and 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 really both of the other people who work here are you know they're 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 architects and they're they could be doing this on their own, but you know we like working together and it works really well for us. And there's not a lot of wasted thought. It's like we can get in and, and really, and really work quickly. And back to the architecture office thing, you know, a lot of offices I saw, they just felt like dinosaurs. They felt like these big, you know, grinding machines of people and, and, you know, machinery. And, And I feel like we're way lighter. We're so flexible and so light and, and able to just, you know, change and, and become whatever a project needs us to be. And I love that. I think that's just, to me, it just seems like a a, a much more realistic and sustainable way to, to do architecture. You know, it keeps me from getting bored with it because I can, we can keep changing it. Um, you know, it's, it's, again, it's we look at it more as like a, an art studio, like we're turning out, we're not really turning out a, a product. We're turning out like a, a progression of ideas that just keep evolving
2: So you have this space now in San Francisco, but you also work part-time in Hawaii. Do you have an office in Hawaii as well?
3: No, the office is just in San Francisco, but we're in Hawaii a lot. And it's so easy that I do work there a lot too. But our office is here in San Francisco. But we're we're in Hawaii a lot.
2: And you're pretty prolific in, in both spaces. Can you talk a little bit about how the projects or process might be different in either one of those locations.
3: <laughs> I love talking about that. Because I mean I really I mean my like, real
2: question is do you take more surf breaks in Hawaii than you would in San Francisco? <laughs> no, i
3: like, same here as I do there, you know? It's like I just serve with a wetsuit here. But you know, it's like it's interesting. It's like our world Though so we started going to Hawaii. I did a project there about, you know, eighteen years ago and really liked it on the big island and we started doing more and then we bought some land over there and built a house and and it just started like our life my wife's life and my wife and actually the people i work with our life started changing kind of around it and it's sort of like like the easiest way to explain it is sort of like this we've created this sort of venn diagram there's like hawaii and there's california and our world is sort of weirdly in between it And we kind of see the same people in both places and we kind of do the same things in both places and i I, I love it because for me, I mean, it works really well for the way I think about things. And it's sort of like, it allows me every time I come, I'm sort of an outsider in both places, which is great. But, but it allows me to really think when I'm in Hawaii, oftentimes my best thoughts about California projects and about, you know, San Francisco happen there. And, and it's the other way, when I'm in San Francisco, I have, I'm, I'm. I think I'm, I'm more lucid and have clear ideas about Hawaii, and and I and I really feel like if you look at the projects, they're both informed by each other. I don't think my my California projects would look the way they look if it wasn't for the time that I'd spent in Hawaii, and vice versa, the Hawaii projects without what I get out of being in California. To me, like Hawaii is in a fantastic. It, it's reintroduced that sort of nature and then being outside that I had when I was a kid that I really just, that really inspired me. And um, just that kind of sacredness of, of space that's created outside, like just, you know, that you just find, that you just stumble upon and and, and it's so perfect and the proportions are right. And so Hawaii sort of been able to, and it's really brought that back and it's really, you know, it's pushed me hard to do what I do there in California. You know, most of the projects we do in California are pretty much along the coast. We're doing stuff, the project in Oregon, we're doing projects in Big Sur, Monterey, San Francisco. And so it's all along the coast. And we're doing some projects that are that are a couple projects in the city, but most of them now are are kind of out of the city, more in, in on on land mm-hmm. and, and really different sites. But being in both places keeps me really really tuned into what's happening.
0: Well, I love what you said about being able to get that distance and perspective when you're in San Francisco, you, you get that distance and perspective on Hawaii yeah. and vice versa, and then they both get to inform your overall progression.
3: I mean, I really look at the projects that we do as sort of like a continuous thought, like as, a, as, a, as an idea that just keeps changing and evolving with input from these different sites and different places that we're building and, you know, and also the builders that we're working with. You know, we're really lucky to, you know, usually we get in pretty tight with the builders and we work with them a lot and they become partners and just thinking about what we can do and and what's possible.
0: So you mentioned uh, working on the different sites and I know you've done a series of residences in Hawaii called the Lava Flow Series that are... Well, they're very exciting, but in part because of their proximity to molten lava and active volcanoes. <laughs> <laughs> so I really want to know what the, what you see as the opportunities for working on a site like that. And also the challenges, I mean, it's, it's gotta be sort of thrilling just because you're, you're flirting with disaster.
3: <laughs> well, I mean, I think it, you know, it's like, it, 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 it looks more dramatic than it, than it is. And that's sense like, <laughs> I, I think it's funny because a lot of times, you know, we live in San Francisco, we're doing all this stuff, and it's on this fault line, you know, and there's earthquakes. That, you know, sure. And and it's so I think it's funny, people, like, you know, spending all this money and time building things here, and, and you know, and they could be gone instantly. And I think you start to look at Hawaii, and, and again, it's like people in building on the big island in and around the volcano, you know, for forever— Thousands of years, and it, and I think, but I think it is more immediate in that sense. That you see it all the time, and that's something that that I really like. I like being reminded of it, and I think it's in, it's intense to some people in that sense that you really do feel small in the scheme of things. You know, you're here for mm-hmm. such a brief time. Um, but I mean, but beyond that, you know, beyond like beyond building on the lava, I think like one of the things that's the most exciting to me about building where we're building is it's. It's it's new land. It's you know it's brand new land. Like this place where where most of the lava flow houses are. It's on a 1955 lava flow. So there are people who live there that are older than the land that that the houses are built on. And you uh. know the, the lava sort of like you know puao craters maybe 20 30 miles away, and the lava's going. But you know there's there's the there's the chance that it could change. You know it's it's the rift zone, and it will change. But again, I think like that that living on new land it sort of like offers to me and this is this is just me talking it it offers like this this new it sort of needs like a a new way of it offers a chance to have a new way of being a new and it's like an opportunity to start from scratch and do something thoughtful there's like a you know hawaiian term it's called ho'oponopono it means to do the right thing and make things right and so i feel like in hawaii that it's really you know it's it's, it's around you all the time and and so I, I like that about building there. You know, once I think you get away from the fact that it's such a different place to build seemingly and you and you start to to see how people are living there and it becomes such a, a distant thought in the back of your mind and you start to think about these other things.
0: Mm-hmm. That makes sense. It also seems to resonate with your kind of scrappy DIY ethos. <laughs> well, you know, just because you grew up in sort of more solitary space than the city. Uh-huh. And I think sometimes if you grow up in the city, you get confined to certain indoctrinations or conscriptions of how dwellings should be. And it seems to me like it would be an incredible, exciting opportunity for you to have this brand new land that nobody's described. I
3: think that is really true. I mean, I think. And again, it's like, uh, you know, when I was talking about living in both places, how well it works for, for us and for me, I think that's, that's really part of it. Like part of living, in, I love living in the city and I love like the opportunities here and I love just what it provides, but, but, but there's still a part of me inside that, that can't be in the city all the time and just, you know, and, and, it, and it sometimes it becomes a little confining and having that, that outside of being able to live in Hawaii and being able to be, You know, on this land that's, like you said, so new and so, you know, free of of existing sort of ideas is really, you know, it's inspiring to me. It inspires me so much to do what I do, to do architecture.
1: Ah, Thanksgiving. You've got your stuffing, your gravy, and of course your turkey. But what about the drinks? Don't panic. Just use Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits. Then get them delivered right to your door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly is giving all new customers $5 off their first order. Just enter the promo code GOBBLE at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com.
0: Support for Clever comes from Master & Dynamic. We know you love great design and care about quality audio, so we know you will love Master & Dynamic's headphones and earphones. Brilliant sound and design motivates everything they do, so Master & Dynamic products are the perfect gift for the music and design-obsessed alike. And after you see the craftsmanship and premium materials, we know you'll want to get a pair for yourself too. Whether you're looking for luxurious and comfortable over ear headphones, portable and power packed true wireless earphones, or an immersive wireless speaker, Master and Dynamic has what you need to upgrade your listening experience. Hear your favorite podcast, Clever, obviously, and your favorite songs in a whole new way. Visit MasterDynamic.com and use the code CLEVER for 10% off your new pair of headphones. Terms and conditions apply. That's masterdynamic.com.
2: I want to talk to you a little bit about your creative process because I think you're a fascinating guy. To me, just listening to you, it sounds like, you know, you have a left and right brain that are both fully functioning or firing on all cylinders. You've got this very, like... um, you know, architectural brain where there's engineering and there's math and there's lots of things to think about. And then you've got this other part of your brain that's very artistic um, and very focused on design. You've got nature and you've got the city. So you it sounds like you have a really nice balance of things going on. I don't know if that's part of like how you get your groove, but I'd like to ask you about like, what does the creative process for you look like from start to finish because you've got all of these things coming at you where you have to be creative, but you also have to be like analytical and how does all of that come together?
3: You no, know, I think it's been a, a process of balancing those things from the beginning. I think like that idea of, I start these things definitely from like, you know, a really free, free ideas and free thoughts and just, you know, just dreams and sort of facial, you know, just glimpses of ideas and things. And, but I, but I, you know, there's a part of me that realizes to make those you know, make those happen, you know, the, the technical side has to be as strong as those. And and it interests me too. You know, it interests me just how, how things work and how things come together. So, you know, it's it's I think it's it's constantly just going back and forth between the two. But like typically for a project, like, you know, we'll we'll look at the site and then just you know, just think about it for a long time. And I've got, I'm always sketching and always drawing ideas. And, and there's always something that's sort of like preoccupying me that usually ends up finding its way into the project that I'm working on at that time, you know? And it's, so it's sort of like, you know, these, these ideas are floating around waiting for like the appropriate sort of site to happen. And, um, and I, and I, you know, it's really not to me, that first stage is not really like a, I try and keep it not like a linear architecture needs to be so linear in a sense, how it actually comes together. But I love just the, in my mind, the freedom of that first stage where, where, you know, these, there's no past and there's no future and there's prob you know, there's, there's projects, there's ideas that have started on other projects that, that, you know, are more appropriate for another site or so ideas that we've thought about and started in other projects or even finished other projects that I think, you know, I'm still excited about and want to add to them or, or come, come bring them farther. So, so that first side, maybe that more creative side is, is like kind of always there. And I, and, and I think really when it comes down to it, that, that side of it is, is the strongest, you know, that side is sort of like the, 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 the the side that, that kind of brings in the other stuff. I mean, I feel like what happens is it starts loose and then it starts to get more rigorous. And it starts to become I'll bring these bring it down to maybe more of like a, a a really strong idea that I can verbalize or focus on or really kind of understand and communicate maybe to the the other side of my mind, the, the the more, you know, technical side. Like all you know, like for example, like, you know, I can think about it like growing up, like, you know, we would modify a tool to do something. We'd have this grand idea of what it could do. And then we would look at what we had, look at what the materials we had at hand and tweak it and hot rod it to make it do that. And I think that's kind of, that's sort of my process, I think, with this man. I mean, I work with really good people. So it's in that, that sense now that I can kind of, we worked together for a long time. I can sort of stay in that, in that sort of creative realm and, and just sort of be there and work with them on, on where that's going and make sure it stays true to what we're talking about, what I was, what I was thinking about from the beginning. And then I think you know, then that, I mean, really to me, like it's, it's a process. It's not like you know we're not. To me, like I really want to see things built. Like the idea of just doing a, a design and then it's not finished is always hard for me. Like I really want it to be, want it to be done. And so I think keeping that sort of, um, creative side really fresh through the process allows you to really see the construction in a fresh way and really make sure that it stays true to that, that initial idea.
0: I think that's really interesting because I do think that a lot of times projects lose their oomph or their flavor as they start to get interpreted by many other people, many other craftsmen, many other relationships, many other budget material constraints, all of that stuff. And so they really benefit from having someone who's absolutely still in tune with the the creative seed or the the genesis or what's really important about this all the way through and somebody who knows how to interpret all of those different processes that happen in building something so that you can help guide and coach everybody who's working on it to help maintain that essence.
3: When you start to talk about it that way it sounds kind of like this mono thought which really isn't what it is because I mean I think it's really it's, it's kind of thinking about that idea beyond, like, the materials. Because there, there has to be so much flexibility when the building starts being built. Just what you can do, you know, due to gravity, you know, due to money, due to site conditions, due to a million variables, a million variables. And so I think that's the part that gets really interesting to me is how you still accomplish this thing. Even though, you know, the materials, there's so many moving targets all around you and there's so many... You know, X, Y, and Z are all changing, but this this idea still needs to sort of remain, and that's really exciting to me. I mean, I think that's that problem-solving part of the technical side is to me equally creative as sort of like those dreamy sort of yeah, oh, absolutely more like tangible sensations in architecture in space.
0: It it's sort of like an evolving organism, and genes are mutating as it's as yeah. it's coming together <laughs> <laughs> and.
3: <laughs> I mean, that's, that's like, I think that's like the most exciting when, when it, when it happens that way. And I think like, you know, that's why I think it, it's really helped us to be really picky about who we work with and who we, who wants to work with us, you know? And, and, and I mean, I think, you know, every client is on board with these projects and they're, you know, as the contractors are, and we're all putting, you know, more than just a hundred, we're putting 120% to do these things. Everybody feels a part of it. And that's exciting. I love it when that happens.
0: I'm glad you brought that up because I was gonna ask you about relationships. It it sounds to me like you've built your practice with good collaborative partners, but also by you know working out of a studio that kind of self weeds your clients.
3: <laughs> self weeding.
0: Self weeding studio.
3: I like that. That's a that's a great name for a studio. <laughs>
0: but it does sound like you're adept at at building and maintaining relationships. And I just want to get your take on how you do that. And if you think it's as important as it sounds like it is.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think that's really, that's really great that, that you see, I mean, I think you guys, I love the questions you guys are bringing up because I mean, they're really, they're thoughtful questions and I think that's part of it. It's not just like one person. It's, you know, it's, it's a whole cast of people. And I, I mean, I think like we've been really lucky to kind of, you know, I, I think, again, that self-weeding process is, <laughs> it happens a lot with builders and, and clients and people in the studio. And I, I, think every, I think everybody is really clear about what we're trying to do and from the beginning to the end. And there's like a real consistency to that, you know, and, it, and it's like, I think the more we do it, the more it, it becomes obvious who is and who isn't. And so, you know, it's like for a while we we're working with the same people all the time, but now I'm finding that it's really interesting because... I, I think we've got the tools for really kind of creating that world and finding who, you know, we know, we know what questions to ask when we meet people and, you know, contractors, subcontractors, clients, everyone. So it's just, I think an easier process with that. But, you know, it's like, again, it's like Hawaii, you know, there's an idea of Ohana. It's just this like this connection sort of of family and people. And, you know, it's, I think it kind of like, really is reflected in in how we do stuff in California and Hawaii as well. It's just, you know, it's like work and life are really connected. And we like working with people that think about it that way. We like working with people that really take it seriously and are challenged by it and want to push it farther. And, you know, we don't, we don't suffer fools. We get really annoyed when people aren't doing that. (laughs) So, you know, I think, yeah, it's it's like, it takes that level of people.
0: You know, there's that old saying, it takes a village to raise a child, but I think that village mentality is in the modern world, we can create that village by building our, our work and our collaborative and our social relationships in that village mentality.
3: I agree. I think that's, that's a great way to put it. I mean, I love it. Like when I love it, when it becomes something more than just, you know, architecture, I love it when it becomes a metaphor for just ways to do everything, community, just the ways to just, you know, know your neighbors, think of your, your house is like not just a building on its own, but a part of the city. Think of it that way. It just, I think the, that sort of, when you say that, it's sort of like when I think about community and I think of all of that, it's sort of like the micro and the macro, you know, it's like yeah. it's sort of you as an individual or, or, I mean, it's even like, you know, um, you know that, I mean, when you were bringing that up, I was sort of thinking of, do you know that? There's a German artist, Hundertwasser. do you know that guy?
0: No, he I'm was, not familiar.
3: A hundred buster is great. I had a client who was really into him and therefore got me really into him. But I mean, one of the things that he was all about was it's sort of like t- talked about the five skins, like the first skin is like, you know, who you are and then it's your clothes and then it's your house and then it's your, your community and then it's your world. And, and it, it's sort of, they all have to be functioning, kind of, they all have to be, you know, all, all working together and, you know, one isn't more important than the other. But it, again, it's like that whole idea of, of like a balance, a balance to the whole thing. I think is, I mean, I think thinking that way, it's easier to sort of get things going when you think about like a symbiotic sort of relationship where everybody's getting what they want.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you have a lot more connection to the context when you think in the macro as you're building the micro.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it's that flexibility of thought.
0: Well, it's flexibility of thought. Okay, so flexibility, and you've talked about being very fluid in your process. And you've also talked about balance. So I'm going to... I know where
3: this is going.
0: Yes. (laughs) I did a little research. Flexible, fluid, balance. You're you're really into surfing Uh, and and skateboarding. And uh, I mean, those are two things that I think are really about, you know, the poetry of momentum and velocity and balance in fluid motion. And so, I mean, there's got to be a relationship between...
3: Your hobbies, and no choice. <laughs> done. No, no, no. <laughs> you know, I think about it all the time. In that sense, that like, um, and so you know, I surf almost every day if I if, if I can. I, I and I love it, and I, I think it's like to me, it's sort of that same dynamic. It's sort of like a, I mentioned, like body and space. Like the, it's how you experience architecture, moving through it, moving through space, moving through light, moving through shadow. It's like a dynamic connection to space. And, you know, I think they're both interesting because taking it back to what you're talking about, all the variables, you know, we we're talking about like design going back and forth between the creative side and the, and the more practical side of getting something built and how, you know, how that kind of comes together. I mean, that's like both of those sports. It's surfing, it's skating. It's interesting. Like I find surfing and skating interesting because in surfing, you know, it's like you're stationary, but everything is moving around you. And in skateboarding, it's the opposite. Everything is stationary and you're moving through it, but there's still like the same motion, which I think is really, really interesting. I mean, it's, it's, it's architectural. I mean, it's like space is there when you're, when you're in a wave and space is there when you're in a ball skating. I mean, and, and also I think it's just, you know, that idea of like, you know, a beautiful object. Like I love how it, how a surfboard looks, the proportion of it, the shape of it, the the subtleties in it and a skateboard as well. And in a way, like I love things like that, that are just like perfect tools. They're like this, you know, like a beautiful sort of prosthetic. It's this thing that once it connects to a human body, it amplifies your abilities. You know, you can, you can glide in in the ocean. You can fly through the ocean. You can, you know, glide through this concrete ball. I mean, I, I, to me things like that, like tools, that do that you know they transcend just what they can do right it's just it transcends more than just it's not just like okay this pair of scissors is cutting a paper in half you know it's it's really more transcendent that's
2: pretty deep (laughs) (laughs) it doesn't really transition me to my next question
3: (laughs) what's your next question you, you, you need to transition that. To I know. Say,
2: I'm trying to think of a good segue, transition. but I, I really can't. <laughs> I wanted to know, you mentioned a wife who's a painter and you mentioned a son. Um, I'd love to know more about your family.
3: <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, so my wife, Kathy, a painter, Kathy Lou, and My son, Zane, is 13 now. And, you know, he's great. He's all what's, what a 13-year-old should be. And, you know, so they're kind of partners in this whole thing and, and around all the time. That's one of the things that's nice about where the office is set up is, like, I love how Zane has just seen this way of working that it really is just connected to your life. And, you know, he's, we travel and we he travels with us and he travels with me to, you know, projects. And it's sort of like we'll do a project and we'll travel to do it and we'll do other things that are fun around it. And, and I think, like, he's mentioned it before, like, he's kind of just, like where does work start and 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 life and fun begin and it, that's really exciting when I hear it from him. I mean that's one of the cool things about having a kid around is you really, you start to see how they see the world and 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 it's kind of exciting when you see things you did right with them.
0: <laughs> right, <laughs> reflected right back at you in a thirteen-year-old face.
3: <laughs> totally, totally in a really good way. I mean that's yeah. all about just. I think it's awesome because it's like. They're all about just consistency. They just they, they, they just want they want to see consistency. That inspires me. I love that. It's just like, yeah, be consistent. You know, do what you say.
2: Well, speaking of people who shape our future, let's talk about your future and the future of your studio. So how would you like to see things evolve over the next five to ten years? Are you good with like status quo or do you want to grow or
3: we've got a couple of opportunities and we're looking at doing kind of larger work, more public projects. But we've been really careful to connect with the right people that where the scale is still intimate, and and we want to only do something bigger if it really kind of just is a continuation of what we've been working on, where really like all the skills and ideas and things that we've honed really make sense. So there's a couple of those that are sort of exciting that could be coming up, and then you know the one thing is like i this is sort of like just a an a fantasy sort of idea, but we've been. You know, the last, like, six years, we've been traveling to Japan a lot. I really like it there, and I really love the architecture. And I'm really keen on doing something in Japan. I really want to build something there.
0: Ooh, I can see that.
3: Mm-hmm. I love it there. It's so, it's, oh it's man, so it's so
0: organized.
3: It's just like a highly, but not, but beautifully yes, not. Right. So like, <laughs> just like a highly functioning non-Western, it's the most exotic place I've ever been. And I've been a lot of places and it's like exotic in that sense that it's so highly functioning, but not Western. You right. know, it's just like, I love that about it. I love that about like, you know, I think there's that Shinto sort of idea of, of, life and everything and you know like where you can really love a real flower but you can also really love a neon flower for the same reasons <laughs> and, and things like that But I don't know I'm really into Japan that's just sort of a, a fantasy
0: what about you personally how would you like to see yourself evolve over the next 50 60 years
3: yeah I I don't know I'm I'm, I'm, I'm just getting getting there you know I play a lot of music and you know I just I, I don't know, I feel pretty good about the path it's taking, you know, it's just, I love the fact that ideas are sort of still coming pretty fast and furious. I'm really excited where they're going and, you know, where they, where they branch off and what they become. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, I feel like, honestly, like, I feel like just in the last few years, like, I feel like I've gotten to a point where I'm, I'm really getting happier with what I'm doing. I look at it and I'm like, okay, this is starting to become something closer to what I think, i really i like and i and, and starting to i can see it i I can kind of see glimmer of you know kind of these ideas
0: that's, so that's gonna be so exciting to feel like you haven't peaked yet not even close
3: <laughs> that's architecture right i mean yeah. that's like architecture is <laughs> like man i remember like when i was in my 20s and i remember you know thinking like i'd, I'd see like you know, a young architect at 40 and like young architect, you know, under 40 under 40, I'd just be like 40, give me a break. That's like not young. And then you just realize that the you know, architect, I can't honestly, I can't think of any other field where, well, I mean, music, you know, certain types of music, you know, certain types of art. I think, I think, you know, there's the opportunity to just keep, you know, if you're careful about how you do it and you're careful about how you, created to just keep doing it and keep getting deeper and deeper into it. So, I mean, that's, that's exciting to me.
0: I mean, I think listening to you protect your joy and your optimism in the process is really inspiring.
3: I think that's an important thing for architects to really do and really remember, like just to, you know, be careful of that. Like I meet so many, so many architects and so many students and students are great because they're excited about architecture and you know, you just you you just see how it can how it can wane and how people can lose it. I'm probably the worst person for people to come and ask me like, you know, should I be an architect? And I'm just like, <laughs> you know, if you even have to ask that question, you shouldn't be doing it. You know, it's it's just like only do it because you can't do anything else.
0: Right? Yeah.
3: It needs to be really you need to really own it and really just give it your whole. Because I mean, there's so much bad architecture out. there. Just,
0: oh, I save didn't. us from that, Craig Steely! Save yeah. us from
3: the bad <laughs> Oh, man. It's like you guys have a better opportunity to do it than I do.
0: Well, we're trying. That's that's yeah, why we're talking keep trying to
3: you. Fight the, the good fight. <laughs> you keep doing it. But no, I'm serious. It's Like, I, I just feel like, yeah, it's just there's no excuses. You know, you, you really you have an opportunity to do something. And it's like you really do need to give it your all. There's no reason. There's no bad clients. You know, just you got to make it make it good.
0: Words to live by.
2: well i think we'd love it if you would let our listeners know where they can find you on the web and on social media so they can follow you and your projects
3: yeah cool so i mean uh, usually instagram is good it's just at craig steely or just my website which is www.craigsteely.com
2: is there anything in particular we should keep our eyes out for
3: there's a house we just did in Cupertino that I'm pretty pretty stoked about. It's pretty great. We got some good photos, and it'll be around soon. So, Awesome. awesome.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you just got a stereo awesome.
3: <laughs> a stereo awesome. I love it. <laughs> a, a three-dimensional awesome. Stereophonic.
0: <laughs> well, thank you for being so candid with us. Um, I really enjoyed hearing your insight and your perspective on your profession, and I feel like... I feel connected to you now, Craig.
3: (laughs) Awesome. Another awesome. (laughs) Another stereo awesome. Well, it was really a pleasure talking to you guys, and I really appreciate you guys asking some real questions. You
0: bet. I appreciate you answering them with all your heart. Yes.
2: (laughs) He's a really great guy. He is. I love
0: how thoughtful he is about his entire practice. And I and I love with a passion how somehow he's known instinctively that he has to really guard and protect what makes architecture joyful for him.
2: Mm-hmm. He can't
0: let that get trampled by the process or by the people. You know, he's really diy his practice into something that he can... Evolve because it feels really organic to him and authentic to him.
2: Yeah, I I really love that he kind of looks at architecture at least a little differently than I thought most architects looked at. Or maybe I don't know. Maybe he's he is different from other architects. I really don't know because I haven't talked to too many architects. But it sounds like he approaches things like twofold. Like I was saying in in the when we were talking to him, like he's almost using both parts of his brain um, to approach it from an artistic standpoint, but make sure that it becomes something that gets built. Like he said, he doesn't want to just sketch things to make, you know, sketch cool things. He wants to see them realized.
0: Yeah. And, you know, that tinkerer, the guy who was modifying tools and hot rodding things growing up, is going to have that need to see things realized because you just... You, you take things apart and then you put them back together in a different way and you've, you've got to see if it works. You've got to mm-hmm. see if it does. You've got to prove your hypotheses. Totally. But I really loved how he talked about moving through space. We always think of architecture. Or we have the there's a danger in thinking of architecture as the materials that make up the, the, the structure. Right. But now he's he's another one that's talked to us about architecture being in the atmosphere and moving through space and shadow and light and how traveling on a surfboard or on a skateboard is also moving through space. And now I'm not going to be able to like enter a building and feel, any, you know, the same. It's going to be amazing. When he pointed out that on a surfboard, you're stationary and everything else is moving around you and on a skateboard, everything else mm-hmm. is stationary and you're moving through it. It's such a simple distinction and it's so obvious, but I never thought of it that way.
2: Yeah, I didn't either. And as you guys were talking and you were making the connection between fluidity and flexibility and architecture and then skateboarding and surfing, like listening to him talk about that was very poetic and it was very moving. But it also opened my eyes to look at space differently and look at the way that I move around space differently.
0: And you know what? I think that's entirely deliberate on his part. And I think he'd be really happy to hear you say that, that that he was able to open your eyes in that way.
2: Yeah. I also liked your analogy, and I don't know if you did this on purpose or not, but it was very smart, that it's almost like like building a a structure, um, a home or whatever, is kind of like an organism, right? So you've got all the cells and all of the nerves and all of the things kind of having to come together and work properly to create this form that everybody is satisfied with and that functions correctly and that still kind of looks like it's supposed to look. Mhm. And that he's almost like at the nucleus of that where he's like the brain and the heart of that whole organism. So he's making sure that, you know, the foot and the arm are doing like know what each <laughs> other's doing and that it's all working the way it's supposed to work, but it's supposed to look like this that he has this vision of what it's supposed to be in the end. So I thought that was really interesting.
0: I like the way you took it to, you, you set a foot in an arm and it made me think of him more as um, rather than him being the DNA, he's sort of like the sperm donor. So that he's oh. like <laughs> injecting his DNA into this separate organism, that, but then he's shepherding it to become a fully viable being with its own personality, but a personality that he's very much, that started from him. <laughs> That's really interesting, but I don't know
2: if he would want to be compared to a sperm. I don't know either. I don't know. I think But we're I do little... like that. Yeah, we're getting a little weird here, but yeah. I do think the concept seems appropriate.
0: <laughs> Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Go to CleverPodcast.com to sign up for our newsletter, read the show notes, and see images of Craig's
2: work. You can connect with us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Clever Podcast. We love hearing from you guys. This episode of Clever was edited by Chris Model of Your Studio with music by L1011.
1: We can get anything delivered from furniture to toilet paper. And now, adult beverages with Drizzly. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits. Then get them delivered right to your door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly's giving all new customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code EASY5 at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com.